Hello there, you Awakening Wonders. Thanks for joining me for Stay Free with Russell Brand. We've got an incredible show for you today, particularly if you are already an Awakened Wonder. You can join us live and join in with the conversation. We're going to be asking you which particular clips or stories you want covered. We're going to be asking you questions throughout. So do become an Awakened Wonder if you can. In the show, we're talking about the global free speech crackdown that's already underway. Legislation's being passed across the world. Joe Rogan's noticed that Canada is potentially coming for his content. We'll be talking about that. And Elon Musk is receiving peculiar threatening letters from gangster bureaucrats from the EU as a result of their new digital crackdown laws. Essentially, across the world, independent media is being pressed. Now, many of you that are sort of, I would say, conspiracy theorist adjacent have noted that centralised authoritarianism will require censorship because as long as there's access to a counter-narrative, we can dispute what the legacy media are telling us. And you know that the function of the legacy media is to amplify and normalise the objectives and agenda of the powerful. We're going to be talking to Asim Malhotra later. Let me know in the chat. Have you seen Asim, Asim, excuse me, Asim Malhotra on the show before? Uh, if you have, press uh, Y. If you've never seen him before, you're going to love him. When we found him, he was little more than a plucky cardiologist. Now, he's appearing live with some of the great heroes of our show, like Vandana Shiva and Bobby Kennedy, talking about misinformation, disinformation, and medical malpractice everywhere. He has become one of the most outspoken voices around pandemic corruption. And today we talk a little bit around some of the changes in reporting around myocarditis and pericarditis, yet another one of those subjects that moved from, you're a conspiracy theorist, nut job to Pfizer having to plainly admit it. Now, one person who's likely to be subject to some pretty imperious and haughty judgment will be friend of the show, outspoken medic, medical doctor, campaigner, activist, and now filmmaker, Dr. Asim Malhotra. Asim, I'm so happy to see you. I'm even more happy to see you, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. I really wanted to get your perspective, first of all, on the, the, uh, that medical knowledge is under, under commercial control. Uh, I, I understand that's due to the way that fact checkers who are presented as objective are actually funded. And also, I'd love to get your perspective on what you think about this new, like these various new censorship laws that are being passed around the world. Go on, Asim, please tell me what you think about the, the fact checkers, because I guess that intersects with censorship because yeah. it's ultimately about the control of information, what information is amplified, what information is controlled. Absolutely. So on the fact checker stuff, interestingly, um, Russell, I'm currently in the United States in Boston, um, but I met someone in California recently at a social event who's actually quite senior in meta. And what they were telling me was essentially that the uh, information that's coming out through Meta is carefully curated. It is influenced by rela financial relationships that Meta has. Um, uh, you know, for example, you know, not many people may be aware of this, but in 2021, uh, Meta joined in partnership, uh, putting in $20 million with drug company Merck to help control health information on their platform. So what that means is when we get these flags uh, coming up, and I've had it on my Instagram, for example, saying that independent fact checkers have, you know, judged that this is breaching community guidelines and is, you know, you're spreading false information. That line, independent fact checkers, is a complete and total lie. And that has now been verified to me personally from someone senior in Meta. So I think everybody needs to know that. 
But coming back to what you said earlier about medical knowledge being under commercial control, uh, Russell, that should be at the forefront of every doctor's mind, and it's not. Uh, and this has been an issue even pre-pandemic. And what do I mean by this? Just to give you uh, some sort of uh, bigger picture figures here, you know, John Ioannidis is someone who I refer to as a Stephen Hawking-like figure of medicine. He's the most cited medical researcher in the world. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford. Um, and in 2006, he published a paper which was entitled Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. Hmm. And he said the greater the financial interest in a given field, the less likely the research findings are to be true. What does that mean in effect? Doctors are making clinical decisions quite often, maybe most of the time, when it comes to prescription of drugs on biased and corrupted information where drug companies control the information that doctors get the doctors believe the information they're getting has been independently vetted and verified, and that is completely false. So one of the barriers to improving the system is actually raising awareness amongst doctors that they need to be skeptical about what they read in medical journals. I interviewed recently uh, Dr. Fiona Godley, editor of the BMJ. She was quite open about this. Now, it's something that's kind of a fact and should be well known, but it isn't properly acknowledged. We have to understand that medical journals are also businesses. But many doctors rely on medical journals as being like the gospel truth when it comes to sort of medical science, for example. So once people start to understand these system failures, then it, we can help, it can help us, one, create solutions moving forward. So we have greater transparency. We have better information. We then improve quality care for patients and we improve people's health. It's, it's really not rocket science. I'm astonished. And if it were rocket science, it would be biased rocket science, where the financial <laughs> interests of whether it was a viable commercial mission would be what determined whether it was undertaken or not. Now, I think we all understand that there are commercial imperatives behind most aspects of life, and but there is something fundamental, hypocritical and anti-hippocratic in pharmaceutical industry having the kind of incentives it does. I'm astonished to hear that, that there's almost a equation that can be made. The higher the financial incentive, the less likely the information is to be viable. And I can't believe what you've just conveyed, that Merck and uh, Meta combined in order to create a fact-checking organization that can't get even to the end of the sentence that it's a fact check without telling you a lie. It's not an independent fact. I mean, it's just extraordinary that that's getting normalized. I feel like in a sense, Asim, where we find ourselves is the kind of discourse that you might find among conspiracy theorists is or like you know just people that are being condemned online people that are being sh shamed is aside from let's just take hate speech out of the picture because no one agrees with hate speech anyway that's mental we yeah. have laws for that that craziness should be dismissed but when it comes to like people that are cynical about the kind of drugs that they're taking cynical about the incentives of pharmaceutical companies that's closer to the reality than the sort of ordinary neoliberal perspective that we're invited to convey and if we uh, to accept excuse me when we and it also shows the importance of independent media because independent media is the only way you're going to get to attack these kind of narratives and increasingly independent media is being shut down and I know that you've uh, suffered yourself as a result of that. Now when uh, America spends a significant portion of its GDP on health care and has bad health outcomes what does that tell us? What's happening with that expenditure? Is it comparable to the military industrial complex which seems to require war in order to sustain its model? Does America need Americans to be unhealthy for its, uh, to, uh, to be economically efficient for the industries that ultimately fund and govern much of American policy? 
Great question, um, Russell. I think what, the first thing I'd say is very interesting. So yesterday I interviewed John Abramson, a uh, lecturer at Harvard. He's been involved in more drug litigation cases than probably any doctor on the planet. Um, and he wrote a book called Sickening, How Big Pharma Broke American Healthcare. And what he said to me, which is quite interesting, he said that America has really shown it's, it's, it's been a natural experiment uh, at the extreme end is what, what, of what happens when you commercialize medical knowledge. Mm. And look at what, what's happened, as you said already. It's the uh, highest expenditure in wealthy countries uh, when it comes to GDP on healthcare with the worst health outcomes. They've, they're losing years off their life expectancy. Even pre-pandemic, they've lost at least two years off their life expectancy by 2019. They've got more people with chronic disease uh, you know, in, in any Western country. So their health is getting worse. And that really is a great example of what happens when you allow drug companies, as, as you've alluded to already, big corporations whose only interest is profit, not to give you the best treatment, to control the information. And, and, and what that means, exaggerating the safety and benefits of their drugs. And just for people to understand this uh, in a bit more depth, um, you know, w one estimate from a very prestigious, um, eminent uh, scientist called Dr. Peter Gersher, co-founder of the Cochrane Collaboration, a few years ago, he said that the third most common cause of death globally after heart disease and cancer is prescribed medications. What your doctor prescribes for you because of those very reasons. So I think those absolutely are at the heart of the problem. And I think that also comes back to, um, you know, this neoliberal economic model you mentioned. I think the roots of where the acceleration of these problems have, uh, you know, uh, have started actually is from this neoliberal economic model that was promulgated by Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And Milton Friedman, as you know, uh, Russell, the, the Nobel Prize winning economist who was a brainchild behind that, he in effect said that in the book, The Corporation, written by law professor Joel Bacan. He said it is immoral. He said it is immoral for big corporations to put people before profits. Think about that for a second. If you've got that kind of culture and mindset within business, it helps explain why we are where we are. And of course, we've even seen that come out with um, you know uh, being exposed probably to the greatest level we, we will ever see with the mandating of the COVID mRNA vaccines. In a way, you are one of those, like we've been speaking for a while, we've been speaking since early in the pandemic. And in a way, you, you were a cardiologist, as I understand your father was a cardiologist, your conversion- GP. A G, your father yeah. was a GP, that your conversion yeah, yeah. has been a, a very sort of personal and very public one. And like any professional in the field of medicine or law, there's a kind of a requirement that you have some faith in these institutions the, uh, and the body of knowledge and the legitimacy of those bodies. How is it? What has been your process from like being someone that would be able to appear on legacy media and talk uh, in alignment with, let's call it, the agenda of these institutions uh, to someone that's now regarded as a radical outsider and often attacked and that there are attempts to shut you down and, and aspects of your work that we'll talk about in more detail. What's changed? Have you changed or has the world changed? What's happened? Because I've had, a, in a sense, a comparable journey from someone with with, on the inside yeah. of the entertainment industry to someone that's an outsider and then a pariah. So like, can you tell me what, what exactly do you think's happened? Yeah, Russell. So my values haven't changed. I mean, I was, yeah. you know, I'm very proud to be a doctor. I was trained in the NHS. I qualified from Medibra Medical School. Uh, I'm obsessed with medical ethics. I was brought up by two wonderful loving parents who've sadly passed in the last few years, both doctors 
who instilled into me a value that my primary duty was service to the community, not for personal financial gain. So this is who I am at my core anyway. But of course, I went into a profession which I think uh, I would like to think epitomizes those values. And in fact, you know, um, in the late 90s, after the cash for question scandal, an inquiry that was uh, put forward by John Major, led led by Lord Nolan, um, advised or guidelines came out for all those in public life should adhere to something called the seven Nolan principles. So these are politicians, dare I say politicians, doctors, teachers, the police. And those seven principles are always at the heart of everything I do. Selflessness, objectivity, integrity, accountability, honesty, openness, and leadership. So I've always adhered to that. I have a, a, you know, a very special interest in how to optimize people's mental, physical, and social well-being. That's what the definition of health really is. It was actually you know, um, defined originally by the World Health Organization in 1948. That's before they got captured by uh, the corporations. Um, and I also look at it from my own perspective as well, Russell. You know, we go through our own journeys. I also, for myself, someone who wants to lead, lead the best possible life I can lead by optimizing, you know, those three facets of health. Um, you know, I look inwardly as well. Uh, and, and what I've seen happen over the last few years, certainly during the pandemic, is that the world seems to have been more under the influence of these corporations. So I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've talked about to help people understand the determinants of health is, is, a, is a concept which is a derivation from the commercial determinants of health, which is defined as, um, uh, you know, uh, it, commercial determinants of health is basically uh, strategies, and strategies and approaches adopted by the private sector to promote products and choices that are damaging or detrimental to health. That's what the definition is in public health. I would go further and say, actually, what's happening quite often is that these big, powerful corporations, in order to make money, are actually behaving like psychopaths. Yeah. And this comes from Robert Hare, forensic psychologist. So if you think about what does that mean? Callous and concern for the safety of others, incapacity to experience guilt, uh, deceitfulness, lying and conning others for profit. And that's what we are now experiencing. But what it, it's not just about how it affects our health. We have created a culture that has corporatized human beings as well, Russell. So what does that mean when we look inwardly? We also have to think about what does it mean to be human? And you can't lead the good and happy life unless you act from a place of virtue. I know you understand this very well. And it's also acknowledging about the, the fact that, you know, I think the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Uh, and in the right circumstances, as Jordan Peterson has very eloquently pointed out, you know, potentially all of us could be that, uh, you know, concentration camp guard, potentially in the right circumstances. We have to acknowledge that we have the capacity to do great harm. But at the same time, we also have the capacity to do, do great good. And I think once people reach inwardly and we have this discussion more openly, we can activate everybody to shift over from the dark side to the lighter side to, you know, paraphrase something from maybe Star Wars. You covered a lot of territory there. It's interesting. We ended up at Star Wars, it seems, as we always must. Uh, uh, like uh, to dr Absolutely. drag Eric Schmidt back into this conversation, whose sort of binary models were based on this, like the convenience and power of having an othered group when creating, in order to create authority. As long as you have an in-group and an out-group, you're able to mobilize and utilize hatred. It's peculiar to observe this um, incremental encroachment on our values because, of course, many people and our viewers will be aware of this. This is why it's important we have independent media and it's important that we have conversations like this. You will know people that read stuff in the legacy media and believe it, that feel that really what happened in the pandemic period was people were trying their best. There were one or two slips 
slip-ups. But now, increasingly, it seems that what's being revealed is a degree of institutional corruption, deception. Here, just let me give you a few examples, Asim, that I know you'll be familiar with. Matt Taibbi's recent revelations that Anthony Fauci potentially was deliberately biasing many reports that coming out of the CIA and numerous other agencies about the origin of the virus. Pfizer's recent press release around uh, myocarditis, particularly in Uh, certain demographics. If you imagine for a moment that the information that can be openly discussed now could be open, could have been openly discussed at the beginning of the pandemic, instead of censored, instead of controlled, we could have had entirely different outcomes. It's seeming now increasingly ridiculous that Anthony Fauci was presented as the voice of objectivity, a kind of Willy Wonka of science, or by his own declaration, a kind of embodiment and epitomization of science. I'm citing his remarks to Rand Paul in that congressional hearing. We've learned so much. Things have changed so much. And yet so many people are on the other side of a line believing it's possible to trust legacy media, to trust these institutions, to grant more authoritarian powers of control to whether it's the EU uh, advancing censorship as we discussed in our uh, in our item just now or any government nation or unelected bodies. The proposed WHO treaty for future pandemics uh, is on the horizon right now. Can you touch on a few of those uh, a few of those ideas that in a sense, snowballing, awakening, the accumulation now of a body of evidence that makes it simply impossible for us to blithely or blindly trust these institutions that are plainly lying to us. Yeah, I think um, you know what what's happened in the last few years, uh, Russell, uh, and what's continuing to happen is that people were gripped by a very strong um, psychological fear type phenomenon uh, with the original COVID pandemic. You know, we all had those, uh, I think, feelings. Most of us certainly had those feelings of, of fear at the very beginning when we didn't know what we were dealing with. Um, and and what happens when you're in a state of fear is uh, two things happen. One is it inhibits your ability to engage in critical thinking, but also it, incur- it, it, means, it meets populations and people more uh, compliant. And of course, that allows governments to exert their power in an even stronger way. I think mistakes were made. I think we alluded to this. I don't think that, you know, conspiracies occasionally come true, but I think this was really a, a massive cock-up um, and it was exploited by a system that was um, already, I would say, anti-democratic and, and a system, certainly when it comes to health, that was not looking after people's mental and social well-being. And now we're having to deal with the end result of it. Having said that, you know, I think that there has been, I, 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 and, and you're, you know, uh, Russell, you're somebody that I, I think is uh, extremely articulate and, and very powerful with your words, not just in terms of the intellect behind what you say, but also the compassion that, that comes through. I think that um, it only takes a few people to be dedicated to the spreading the truth for it to emerge. And we have lost, to some degree, that ability through the mainstream media to get these messages out. And we're having to use alternative media. But it's having a huge impact. Uh, and we can see to some degree that impact um, from the fact that when you look at the issue around COVID boosters, for example, there's very, very low uptake now. I mean, we're talking about single digit percentage figures here. So I think that we just have to keep moving forward. And I also take a philosophical view of all of this. Um, you know, I met Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, at the end of last year, and I'm doing a talk with him at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of this month in San Jose. And he said something which, which resonated with me. He said, when you speak the truth, you have to let go of the outcome. 
Um, and But having said that, I think that we, we just have to keep moving forward. And I think this corporate tyrannical bubble will burst. I think one day we'll wake up in the morning and think, bloody hell, you know, we didn't expect that to happen so quickly, but it will happen. We just have to keep moving forward. You know, to quote Martin Luther King, you know, if you can't drive, you run. If you can't run, you walk. If you can't walk, you crawl. Just keep moving forward. Wow, nice. I um, know that you're appearing at that Reclaiming the Food and Medicine conference with Bobby Kennedy and Vandana Shiva, two people that I, uh, former guests of our show, please God, future guests of the show, both, I would say, heroes of this movement. Uh, now, Bobby Kennedy, you know, he has some pretty powerful views. On this show, he spoke about the, the you know, that in a sense, the vaccine program was a military one. Vandana Shiva, like, you know, I've never met anyone who's so willing to go out on a limb when it comes to criticizing glo the globalist agenda, who'll go out there and literally say that, Bill Gates's role is, you know, like she'll use words that I don't feel at liberty to use to describe the agenda of Bill Gates. How, how do you feel uh, appearing on that platform? And this kind of alliance that's uh, emerging, this kind of, could you call it a resistance movement? Uh, does that uh, inspire the kind of optimism that you alluded to in your last answer? Yeah, absolutely, Russell. I feel privileged. I feel privileged right now to be speaking to you. I feel privileged to have a, a platform and a role to be able to disseminate, uh, you know, uh, my views on how we can improve people's health and well-being and democracy. But of course, you know, I think these are massive giants in, in this movement uh, to reclaim democracy, uh, Robert, Robert Kennedy Jr. And, and of course, Vandana Shiva. And what the conference is hopefully going to, you know, it's going to be a five-hour event and uh, it's going to cover a lot of areas. It's going to get to the root causes of the problems in a rational way. It's going to give people, empower people with what they can do to help improve their own health, but also to See, uh, to help them understand that the interaction with the, the people around them, the communities and policies uh, are also going to be beneficial for them. You know, uh, we don't live in cocoons. Um, you know, you can't live a healthy life while the world around you is burning. And unfortunately, Russell, the world around is burning. Um, and, and, but I actually look at it also from a very strategic point of view. There's an approach framework that was developed in Thailand called the Triangle That Moves the Mountain. And there are three components that need to be strengthened. So we move this mountain. Uh, away from this corporate tyranny to something you know, much brighter and better. And that basically means creating the relevant knowledge or strengthening the knowledge, dissemination of a greater truth, the social movement. So that information has to be disseminated to, to, to people on the ground. That can be through mainstream media, it can be through alternative media, it can be through conversations with friends and family. Uh, but la and last but not least, it needs political engagement because ultimately what we're dealing with here, the reason we've got to this position, Russell, is because of unjust, unethical, and undemocratic laws that have allowed these big corporations to gain so much power. And therefore, the politicians are the ones ultimately that have the power to change those laws. So I see this event, in my view, this is perhaps the most important health event this year in the US, um, perhaps in the world, to be able to bring all that information together and articulate it in a way that resonates with, with people on the ground. Excellent. Tell me a bit about your new documentary, First Do No Farm. Nice pun. <laughs> How you've been promoting it on uh, platforms yeah. like X and, of course, Rumble, and uh, and uh, that I understand Joe Rogan's supporting it. Can you tell me about the significance of in independent media when it comes to promoting anti-establishment yeah. ideas? I've been fond of saying lately that the role of the media 
is to amplify and normalize the message of the establishment. A kind of simple example of the normalization would, of course, be the pandemic period. They normalized the agenda of the establishment. You could even take something like when Facebook or Meta launch a new product, like those crazy little glasses that are going to you know, give you an augmented reality experience. They report on it like it's news. Like, and these glasses, and they retail at $49.99. They present it as if it's news when they're simply normalizing a new product in just the same way that conventional commercials would work. Can you tell me what is the significance of like truly independent figures? And uh, please may this independence remain uh, when it comes to promoting anti-establishment ideas. How integral is it? It's extremely important, uh, Russell. Um, I, I would say I believe in the power of film and documentaries. It's another platform to reach people's hearts and minds. Um, I co-produced a documentary film several years ago called The Big Fat Fix. Many people may not have heard of it, but it had impact because um, it premiered in British Parliament. It influenced sugar reduction policies. I was a campaigner considered the lead campaigner behind the sugar drinks tax. And that was a very useful vehicle to get that information to policymakers, including people like Jeremy Hunt, Tom Watson, who's a deputy leader of the Labour Party. Um, you know, so I see this. Uh, and interestingly, by the way, at that time, Russell, and I still hope there's a chance that we get it into mainstream media, but we'll use whatever mechanism of getting out there we can. You know, it was actually covered on BBC World News and the New York Times when that film was first released. Um, we crowdfunded it because we didn't want any commercial influence. And we're doing the same thing with this one. Currently, crowdfunding is still ongoing. We're still about, you know, we, we, we're doing filming. We're interviewing some brilliant people. We're still about $350,000 short of target. But hopefully, over the next few months, we will get to there. We'll get there with, with you know, various big donors coming in. Um, I spoke about it and Joe Rogan for the first time, Joe said that he's going to promote it when it's out. You know, we're going to try and hit people all around the world. I've got a network of uh, politicians uh, in, and people all over, uh, whether it's Australia, whether it's UK, whether it's the United States. So, you know, for me, once we've produced my first and primary focus is to produce a brilliant product that's very strong in its message. And then it's about hitting the influencers and hitting the mainstream. Are you going to do the voice? <laughs> well, it's going to be either me or it's going to be uh, my co-producer, Donald O'Neill, who's got a, a very nice, strong Northern Irish accent as well. So I think it'll probably be both of us, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> be nice to have a combination. Maybe you can do some of the on-camera stuff and then use that Northern Irish lilt to get some of the voiceover rocking along. Do you feel that when you're crowdfunding for a project like this that is by its very nature at odds with many of the primary and determining interests, of, in particular of American political life, that you might find yourself at odds with the establishment like when you've like talking about that project where you could have a screening in parliament and it's sort of anti-sugar it's like you start to identify where the line might be that there are certain causes that can be promoted and discussed and and of course it changes over time, even perhaps the legislation that's been passed in the US recently, the anti-Big Pharma bill, so-called and, and so surmised by Joe Biden, when you break it down, only includes about six medicines. It's, it's not kicking in till 2026. It's when you get into it, 
something that's presented as a big pharma bill likely had big pharma's fingerprints all over it when it came to its creation. Uh, likewise, a documentary like your former one, where you sort of speak out against sugar and the dangers of sugar, like a message that should be heard for anyone interested in heart disease and cancer and diabetes and the impact of sugar on human health and the fact that it would probably be regarded as a drug if it was, you know, if it was discovered and popularized yeah. now. You feel like there's a lot more scope to discuss that. Are you in a climate where, you know, you sort of grey zone, get a lot of their content demonetized and their own crowdfunding shut down or the trucker protests had, you know, experienced uh, their funding getting shut down and, pe- and even the bank accounts of people that donated to that fund were interfered with. Do you feel that there's a sort of line that you, if you cross it, you ain't going to be having no cosy dinners with politicians, you know? Yeah, potentially, Russell, but it doesn't stop me from uh, from trying. And I still believe in the power of conversations. And I think most yeah. people, again, um, want to do good, uh, hate injustice, and, and they, they want the truth. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I think that there is unfortunately a tendency, an understandable tendency for things to get so polarized and people get very angry and think that people are deliberately trying to harm them. Uh, you know, I would go back to ancient wisdom of, of, of people like Socrates and the Buddha. And Socrates said, you know, evil is rooted in ignorance. And then Stephen Hawking said, well, what's worse than ignorance? The illusion of knowledge. So I think that we can, um, you know, it, it needs compassionate courage to have those conversations. Uh, I still believe the power, you know, I've, I've interestingly, over, I won't name this person, but I, I met recently someone very senior in government when Boris Johnson was prime minister who is now completely U-turned in their own mind, understanding the problems and the issues about the COVID vaccine and lockdowns, for example. But on their own, they kind of feel almost um, powerless, even though they're a very big, big name person, but powerless to act on this. So we have to collectively change hearts and minds. Um, and I think uh, the, the more people that become aware of what's really going on, I think we'll reach a tipping point where suddenly people will feel more comfortable to be able to speak out when they realize if that by being silent, ultimately this becomes self-destructive for them and for people around them. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the message that we're trying to convey. That's cool. It's like uh, you feel that there will be... Uh, in a sense, this is where we as individuals must take responsibility for our own conduct and outlook, that if we can awaken to the point where we're open hearted to people in positions of power, it's very easy, for example, in my job and having had the experiences that I've accrued since speaking out against the establishment in a very overt way to start to regard them as almost and even the word them, it, them is telling like or regard them as almost sort of like if not evil, then utterly corrupted. It's difficult to sort of think of like, you know, so as I sort of remember that like Joe Biden like lost a child in a car accident and like he lost his first wife, you know, and I've started to think, okay, these are human beings. It's hard to hold together that level of humanity, but you can't really make anything from rage and hatred, like other than sort of contributing to a general fear of feeling of crisis. So I think you're right. We have to somehow hold all of this information, experience what we experience when we speak out in the manner that we do, and then somehow have an open heart. So in a sense, you're saying that that those seven principles, which you sort of, it sounds like have been inverted by many people in positions of institutional or corporate power, like in, you know, that psychopathic um, paradigm that you used, we have to somehow, would you say, approach this from a spiritual perspective? I know that both Vandana Shiva and Bobby see the world in those terms. What about you? 
Hundred uh, percent. You know, I've had my own suffering in the last few years with, with losing both my parents prematurely, and I had to dig deep. And I actually found a lot of comfort and strength in Buddhist philosophy, for example. And in, on that, Russell, you know, people know about the concept of breaking bad, but we don't talk about breaking good so often. And in fact, one of the most amazing stories for me historically is a story of King Ashoka of India, who was a despotic king, who was, uh, you know, would would torture people who were dissidents against his you know, um, his political ideology, um, you know, created wars, killed many, many people. And 200 years after the death of Buddha, he came across Buddhist teachings and it suddenly transformed him. He had an epiphany moment. He uh, stopped capital punishment. He stopped animal sacrifice. He sent people out on missions around the world outside India to spread Buddhism outside India. And in fact, you can credit the spread of Buddhism outside India, probably because of Ashoka. So for me, that is a, an amazing, powerful story about the power of human beings to transform. Oh, that's beautiful. That what could unfurl from apparent evil is beauty, that transformation, redemption, salvation, awakening and enlightenment are possible for all of us. And we shouldn't foreclose on that possibility, even for those that we regard as opponents. What a powerful message, Asim. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for your great work. Congratulations on your success. Certainly we'll be supporting your film. We'll, uh, we'll post the crowdfunding for that here until it's inevitably shut down by the system. No, don't become cynical. Don't become cynical. And I, I would suggest that you go see uh, Dr. Asim Malhotra in San Jose on October the 28th. That's an incredible bill. And of course, uh, follow the great doctor on X if you can. Thanks, Doc, for joining us again. Thank you, Russell. Thank you so much. Well done, mate. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Cheers now. What a conversation that was. What a joy it is to speak to people that are as committed and as devoted and as open-hearted and as open-minded as Dr. Asim Malhotra. Let me know in the chat if you enjoyed that conversation. And of course, go check out those various projects of his, the movie and the talk with Vandana and Bobby Kennedy. Hey, this show might be drawing to a conclusion, but there is so much revolution left in me. There is so much desire for awakening. And I know you watching us on Rumble right now feel it as well. I know that you are beginning to look beyond the divisions. I know that you are beginning to see beyond the inculcated hatred that's raining down upon us to a new potential unified yet decentralized movement where we will change the world together. And tomorrow we're going to be talking to Ted Waters, who... He's got some inside information on 9-11. I mean, this is what it says here. It says 9-11 and what really happened. I mean, that sounds like a recipe to get us all slung in jail. Let's hope that Ted Walker conduct. Is it Ted Walker? Is that his name? Conducts this conversation with some Ted Walters. Thank you, Ted Walters. We're going to be talking to him about 9-11 and what really happened. And I imagine we'll be gently tiptoeing through that to ensure that we're not only not deplatformed, but uh, de not imprisoned. Hey, you can click the red awaken button if you want to support us. You know what Locals is about? Here, we are pointing out the problems. On Locals, we are moving towards solutions, whether that's creating new communities, discussing ideas that are going to change the world, chatting together, getting your intel on what you believe is the recipe for a revolutionary new community. We've got to get past the stage of conflict and into the realm of solution. You are already an awakened wonder. We're merely waiting for the moment of shared elevation together. Plus, you get like extended interviews, meditations, reading, 
things and a whole variety of things. And some recent supporters include Magamolo Rider 64, C Dub, Rufus Rucker 6506. A lot of numbers involved there. I suppose there's a lot of variety to contend with. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting what we do. You know how important it is now. You see what's happening around us. We must awaken together. We must form these new communities. We must build this movement together. Join us tomorrow. Not for more of the same. I would never insult you with that kind of vile junk, but for more of the different. Until then, if you can, stay free. Switch on, switch off, switch on, 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 switch on